Father, we come before you today so thankful. We thank you that your grace really is amazing. And you express that grace by punishing your son in our place on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that he was able to satisfy the wrath of God on behalf of us. The death sentence we would have had for an eternity in hell, you placed on him and he satisfied all of your demands. But he didn't do it for himself because he was sinless. He did it for us. And that's what we believe in. That's what we hope for. That is what we trust in. That is what we rest in today. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. Now, not everybody can do that. And we want to pray for people who are here this morning. People who may be watching us online. We pray that if they've never trusted Christ, today would be the day you bring them under conviction of their sins. Today would be the day you draw them unto Christ and let them see that He's the only way and He is the only hope. And we pray that they in faith would put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and they would surrender and submit to Him as Lord and uh, be born again and follow Him the rest of their life. And Lord, we pray that as we do things like we did Sunday night, where the gospel is presented to so many people who need to hear it, we pray for fruit. You said in the gospel of John that you want us to bear fruit. And you said that the Father is glorified when we bear much fruit that remains. We're asking for fruit. Fruit from the student camp. Fruit from children's camp. Fruit from VBS. Fruit from uh, the fall festival that we had. Fruit from the Thanksgiving service. And fruit from this holiday season. May we take advantage of every opportunity we have to say a good word for Christ and to tell people about not just that he came, but why he came. And he came to save sinners. And we thank you that sinners like us can be saved because of him. We pray for people in their personal struggles. Help them in their family struggles, marriage struggles. Help them in financial struggles. Help them, Father, as they seek your will. Help them as they have decisions they need to make. Give them wisdom as parents, as husbands and wives. Give them love. And let all that they do be done in love as the scripture commands. Bless those who have health problems. Bless those who are getting ready to go through surgeries. It was a thrill to uh, be reminded this morning that Becky Pig is going to be able to have that knee replaced. And we've been praying for that for a long time. And you've brought it, brought healing to her to the point where she can have that done. Thank you so much for that, Lord. And we pray for our nation because we live in the midst of an ungrateful people. And I pray, Lord, you would do a work in our churches, do a work through Christian people, spread the gospel, raise up people that can get the ear of the nation so that their hearts will be turned to you. Help us, Lord. We're in desperate need. Please save our nation. Give our leaders wisdom and let us be the salt and light that we're supposed to be while we are living on this earth. Bless the grieving, and we pray, Lord, that you would do all of this so that everyone may know there is a God, and there is only one God. He rules and he reigns, and he's known through Jesus Christ. Make that crystal clear. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's that time of year again. I want to... Uh, 
ask you to join me in giving an offering for our staff and that we can show them love, show them appreciation, uh, help them out. Inflation bothers them too. If you notice prices at the pump and at the grocery store, that kind of eats into your check. It, it does that also for uh, your church staff. And this is a way to kind of help compensate for that, make up for that. But above all, just to show them a lot of love. So designate your offerings however you give them. Uh, designate it for staff love offering and we'll make sure that it gets to them. And it's always a great joy to be able to do that. I'd also like to ask you to pray. I was able to do a funeral yesterday for a man I didn't know. Those are always a little bit difficult. They make me a little bit nervous. Uh, and, you know, you don't know if you're going to say the right thing, the wrong thing, a good thing or a bad thing. But um, the, the reason that I take those most of the time the time is uh, two reasons, I guess, maybe three. First of all, I want God to be glorified in that situation. And um, secondly, because I know there's a family that needs help. And if I can help, and uh, I don't know who they would turn to, because uh, a lot of these people, they don't have pastors, they don't know anybody. And, you know, there's a lot of bozos out there. And uh, hopefully I, you don't think of me as one of them. But... Uh, I can at least go and I can at least make sure that things were done properly, decently, and in order to honor that person and to help comfort the family. And thirdly, I look at it as a great opportunity to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we did that yesterday and pray for the Jim Boy family and uh, ask that the Lord would do a work in the people that were present that day that need to know the Lord and uh, ask the Lord to do a great work of salvation. So uh, I would appreciate that. Well, we're in John chapter 4, and uh, this is the point where we, uh, you know, we've learned a little bit about Samaritans and a little bit about the, uh, the men and uh, women uh, of that age and how they didn't interact and that type of thing. Now we get into the actual interaction of what takes place. And Jesus makes a statement in here, If you knew the gift of God... And I got to thinking about that. What a great title. If you knew the gift of God. Because a lot of people don't. A lot of people know about God. They will acknowledge God. But they don't understand his gift. They don't understand what it really means that Jesus came to earth. And this is the thing that burdens me so much about the, the holiday season. Especially Christmas. So many people. Oh if the world only knew the true meaning of Christmas. Well understand the Bible never commands us to celebrate his birth. It does command us through the Lord's Supper to celebrate his death. Because the reason Jesus came was not because there was an empty manger that needed a baby in it. Or we need to learn to treat people better. Or we need some presents. We need an excuse to be materialistic and give presents and that type of thing. Or we need another excuse for a party or something like that. That's not really it. You see, the world may acknowledge that Jesus comes but they have no idea why he came. And so they overlook the gift because they just don't get it. If you were to uh, give a, a two-year-old a manual to a uh, 2023 Cadillac, uh, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Even if you gave them the key, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Even if you gave them the car, they wouldn't know what to do with it. And the world is like that with Jesus. 
They'll put a baby in a manger, put up a nativity scene somewhere, send a Christmas card, and, and they'll say even things like, remember the reason for the season, and they leave the cross completely out of it. They leave sin completely out of it. And they don't understand that God sent his son into the world. Not because he said, oh, what a great place to live. I think I'd like to go down there for a few years. He came down only for one reason. And that was that he might be butchered on a cross. And bear the wrath of God completely and fully for everyone who would put their trust in him. And so we've got that opportunity. So as I preach this this morning and as we read this this is not just about a Samaritan woman at a well 2,000 years ago this is not just about a, a, a Jewish man who happened to get tired and thirsty and sat down by the well and then breaks social custom and asks this Samaritan woman for a drink it's it's more than that this describes the world in which we live this is what puts flesh on Ephesians chapter one, uh, chapter 2 and Romans chapter 1 about lost people being dead and without understanding. This is exactly what this is all about. So if you will turn in your Bibles to the fourth chapter of John and we'll begin reading in verse 10. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. John chapter 4 verse 10. Let's all look together and follow along. You want to make sure that I'm right in everything that I say. And it says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw meaning to draw water, to draw water with. And the well is deep. In fact, it was about 100 feet deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answers and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. And the woman said to her, uh, to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What an interesting story here of an interchange. And as you know, the Samaritans were not considered worthy of interaction by the Jews. And the Samaritans felt pretty much the same way about the Jews. They didn't like each other. They didn't get along together. They normally didn't end up in each other's nation or country or region. But Jesus did. 
praise chance, he ended up at the right place at the right time, and even his fatigue and thirst happened at just the right time, so that where the road going to Galilee forked, there was a well. It was Jacob's well, and he's hot, and he's tired, and he's thirsty, and he sets down to rest at the well, and his disciples leave him alone to go get food in a nearby town. And while he is there, this woman comes at a weird time of day, and she comes by herself to draw water. The women usually came in groups, and uh, they would uh, protect each other and watch out for each other. This woman is obviously an outcast from the other women of the village. She comes by herself in the heat of the day, and there she encounters Jesus. It truly was a divine appointment. And Jesus breaks all social custom and moray by saying to her, give me something to drink. She says, how is it that you, a man, a Jewish man, ask water from me, a Samaritan woman? And this is the setup for when Jesus says, if you only knew, if you only knew, if you understand, you'd be asking me for living water. But uh, she didn't get it. And it took her a while before that happened. And this is the way people are when you witness to them. It just goes right over their head. Or they think they understand you. They think they understand Christianity. And uh, most lost people, politicians, Hollywood stars even, they think they understand Jesus. And they may even counter you. You wouldn't accept this lifestyle or you wouldn't accept this situation. But Jesus taught us to love And that's all they know. That's all they get. Now, they don't love Jesus, but they like to use that in order to kind of throw you off guard or put you on the defensive or to act like they really are okay because they only understand things from a natural perspective. Now, we've already seen this. Back in John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Nicodemus is a Jew, a sure enough Jew. And he is a leader of the Jews. He is a teacher of Israel. But when Jesus says to him, I say to you, you must be born again or you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus immediately thinks natural. How can I get back into my mother's womb to be born a second time? Now, that wasn't what Jesus is talking about. And in this same case, when Jesus said, if you only knew, you'd be asking me for a drink. And what does she run to immediately? What her natural mind can understand. What her dead spiritual nature can actually comprehend. Oh, hey, give, me, give me some of this. Some of this living water that you are speaking of. Now when we talk about this, think about where the woman was. Because as we look at this first point and we consider the fact that she had a faulty view of Jesus... And of living water. Neither one of those things made any kind of sense to her. Who is this weird Jewish guy who would actually be here because Jews don't come here? And why is he talking to me? What does he really want? What's his angle? What is he trying to gain? What is going on here? This is one of the weirdest situations this woman has ever been in. And Jesus' answer didn't help any. Well, if you knew the gift of God, you'd be asking me for a drink and I'd give you, you know, this living water. What? And you know what she thinks of? Because in that day when they thought about water in a land where water is scarce, remember the uh, land of Israel is about 60% desert, you got your water maybe from a, a spring or a river or something like that. 
And uh, the water that was moving, the water that was going over rocks or through rocks sometimes, that was relatively clean, the water that could support life, in other words, I mean, I mean it's kind of gross to think about drinking water that has minnows in it and frogs and turtles and fish, those kind of things. But it also tells us something. If it will support their life, it'll support your life. It was called living water because it was life-giving, life-sustaining, and life-supporting. And it was not dead, stagnant water. Now, the other water that they had was usually gathered in a cistern. And in the a uh, few times of rain that they had when it would rain hard, water would run off into those cisterns and they would uh, have them big enough to save them and to use them throughout the year. Sometimes, if they were fortunate enough, they might have a well. And the well, if you dug deep enough, you might, you might hit an underground stream or something like that. And the water would collect in the well, kind of like a cistern or a, or a big, deep basin. But there was a problem with that. That water just sat there. What does water do when it just sits there? Well, it's not pretty. And it doesn't always smell good. And it doesn't always taste good either. And you can imagine that in those cisterns over time, the, well, the, the scum that would come over them, you can imagine that dirt and debris would fall into them, leaves and things like that. Well, what about when a dead animal came in to get water and fell into the well? Hundred feet deep, you couldn't see him. And that animal, like a rat or something like that, decomposes in there. The water was not real great, in other words. And so Jesus, when he speaks to this lady, he speaks of something that is spiritual. And he speaks of something about himself. If you knew the gift of God and you know, a lot of times we say free gift, and sometimes the Bible does too. But let's face it, if it's not free, it's not really a gift. And so if it says it or not, it's talking about something that God gives freely. And who it was who says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, what's she supposed to think about that? She's thinking, if I had good water, that is life-changing life-changing in that particular culture. She could probably sell it. If she knew where the source of this living, clean, good water was, then she could probably get it, take it back to the village, and she could probably sell it. She could probably, she certainly would not be getting the water out of this well anymore. And so that's where her mind goes. This is something that this strange Jewish man, he knows where water is that doesn't come from this well. And since all of the other goody-two-shoes women of the village would go to that well, she could go somewhere else, get better water, not have to put up with them, not have to come in the heat of the day. And man, how great would that be? And again, people, as she collected that water, would probably buy that water off of her and it would take care of her livelihood because that's all she could see. She had a faulty view of Jesus and of the living water. Well, how many people do you run into today that you can talk to them about church, you can talk to them about morals, you can talk to them about politics, you can talk to them about uh, church and those kind of things and their religious background, but you can also tell that when it's all said and done, they just don't 
understand. And it's a heartbreaking thing because that's where you and I were at one point in our lives. Romans chapter 3 says that it's beyond our understanding. It's not a matter of just academics or education or anything like that. It's something that, well, the natural mind does not uh, conceive or, or perceive of the spiritual things because they are spiritually discerned. There's another dimension other than just intellectual. Well, she's operating on a purely intellectual um, idea here, and all she knows is like Nicodemus, this guy, there's something different about him, but I don't know really what it is. And Jesus even said, You don't get it, you don't know who I am. And think about this, her perception of this whole situation. Jesus is just a strange, weird Jewish man who somehow knew where fresh water was. That's as deep as it gets. That's pretty shallow when you think about this and knowing what we know. So that's number one. Number two, think about this in verse 12. She had the wrong heroes. She's really impressed with the fact that Jacob dug this well and that Jacob's sons and even Jacob's livestock drank from this particular well. That means something to her. She thinks that's special. She thinks that that imparts something to her. She thinks that this sets every other well apart from this one. Truth of the matter is it's just water. No matter who dug it or who drank from it, it is still just water. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Now remember, Jacob had an encounter with God and God changed his name to, anybody remember? Israel. And so when you find the nation of Israel and in the Bible, the children of Israel, they're not little kids that are walking along. They are the descendants of Israel who was also known as Jacob. What is she really saying here? You Jews think you're all that in a bag of chips. But we have Jacob's well. He drank out of that very well. His sons, the ones that the 12 tribes of Israel are named after, drank out of this very well right here in Samaria. You think you're all that great. You think you're all that hot. You think you're all that special. Look what we have. And I'm drinking out of the same well, getting that same uh, water source from underground and uh, just like Jacob and just like all of the leaders of the 12 tribes did. So you kind of get the idea here. She's saying to him, you've got something really great. Are you greater than Jacob? I mean, if there were a source of living, clean, fresh water uh, that was an endless supply, don't you think Jacob would have gone there instead of digging this deep, deep well? In Israel, when you go and you see the lengths to which the ancient people would go to collect water, it's absolutely amazing what they would dig, how big it would be, how much it would hold, and how in the world would they do that without heavy equipment and machinery? It must have been uh, an awful ordeal. And that's what I think she is saying here. Oh, you got all this, do you? Huh. Living water out here in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a desert? You, you've got a, a thing like that? Uh-huh. Are, uh, are you greater than our father Jacob? Did Jacob mess up? Was Jacob, did he do a dumb thing by digging this well when he could have had your water? And later she goes, show me, show me where this is. So you see the insinuation here is, uh, you're crazy. 
You don't make any sense. Why should I trust you? You are raving like a madman here. The heat's starting to get to you. Let me, let me get you a, a, a drink of water real quick because you are crazy. Well, isn't that the way the world looks at so much of what we believe and what we say? You're crazy. Only a fool would believe in a God who created everything, right? Only a fool would do that. Well, what do you believe? Well, I believe it's all just by random chance and it came from nothing. Well, that's satisfying, isn't it? In other words, they think we're a fool and we think that they are a fool as well. And Jesus seems to be insinuating, you don't really understand what's going on here, do you? Because if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me for a drink. The tables would be turned. You would understand how needy you are, and you would understand how sufficient I am for every need that you have, especially eternal needs, spiritual needs, and all of that. And so she goes, oh really? You're, you're, you're bigger than Jacob? Okay, get what's, get what's happening here and what's going on. That's not a statement of faith. That is just kind of looking at him askance and saying, who in the world do you think you are anyway? And so uh, Jacob, think about that. This is a big deal to drink from this well because our father Jacob did it. Well, let's think about Jacob. You remember Jacob, the guy who tricked his brother out of his birthright? Do you remember Jacob, the guy that went into Isaac's tent when he was blind and pretended to be Esau so that he could receive the, the blessing and the birthright from all of this? Do you remember Jacob, the guy that goes and runs to his relative Laban's place to flee from his brother, the wrath of his brother? And while he's there, he falls in love with a young girl named Rachel. And you remember that uh, Jacob goes to Laban and says, I'd like to have her for my wife. Okay, well, work for me for seven years, and you can have her. Seven years comes and goes. It's time for the wedding, and uh, very, very dark, and they wore veils and all that kind of stuff anyway. And then Jacob, on his wedding night, discovers it's not Rachel. It's Leah. The deceiver got deceived, didn't he? And he goes back to Laban, and Laban comes up with this lame thing. Oh, well, it's not proper for the older you know, sister not to be married first. But you can still have Rachel if you'll work another seven years. Man, he must have loved her working 14 years of his life to have her be his wife. Think about all of that. And think about who Jacob was, what kind of a person he was, and uh, why would you want to brag about being related to Jacob? In these days where we can do our DNA tests and we can look back and we can see some of our ancestors were, I promise you there are some people that get their report back and they'll go, yeah, the kids will never know about this and wad it up. We're not always there. Now, some of them we brag about, but some of them we don't. And when she talks about Jacob, wouldn't this just feed the Jewish stereotype. Oh yeah, you think that drinking from Jacob's well is so good. And look at what she's really doing. She had the wrong kind of heroes. Let's just say that. She looked up to the wrong people. Our world does that today. Here we have a Savior who will liberate us from sin, who will transform our lives, who will give us the gift of eternal life. But who would our world rather put posters up in their rooms? Who would our world rather follow? 
Who would our world rather sell themselves to, to watch them play or to hear them perform or whatever it might be? Look at the heroes that are in the world today and they're not really worth following because people don't really know who to trust. They don't know who to look to. They don't know who to believe. And when they do, they're going absolutely the wrong way. And that's what uh, this lady was doing. And her religion, if you could call it that, was more superstition. It certainly wasn't moral, was it? It was superstitious. I'm drinking from the same well that Jacob drank from uh, hundreds of years before. Ooh, And I'm going to drink out of this water. Maybe this is the same water that his bucket went into. It wasn't, but she could pretend. And it was all just kind of a mystical, superstitious, weird kind of thing. And so devoid of the truth. But this is how she saw life. I want you to think about the way her life, as it's described later, uh, would this be an apt definition of it? She lived for the moment. I mean, uh, when you have 500, uh, 500, five husbands, I'm going to make a guess that they didn't all die. I'm going to make a guess that she wasn't just a five-time widow in this. I'm going to make a guess that there was some divorce involved. And because there's always two sides to every story, I'm going to make a guess that in some of this, she probably was at fault, just like her rotten, no-good, scummy husband that she never should have married in the first place, right? I'm going to make a guess that maybe there was some cheating going on. Maybe there was an affair involved in all of this at some point or another either on her husband's part or maybe even on her part you say well how do you know that that's kind of judgmental well when she says I don't have a husband basically in our vernacular she would say uh, uh, when Jesus said go get your husband oh I'm single I'm single well that's true but that's not the whole truth that's not all of the story and uh, I, I look at this kind of thing and say this is probably a woman who kind of lived for the moment, went by her feelings, whatever seemed to be right. I'm tired of this. I'm bored with this. I'm going to move on over here. Even to the point to where this woman who had had the pretense of being moral by marrying uh, five men is now just, oh, forget about it. Who cares? What does it matter uh, there's no fulfillment in it. There's nothing lasting in it. Maybe they had been abusive to her. Again, maybe they had cheated on her. We don't know. But there's all kinds of things we can surmise. But this last time, she just goes, why even bother? Who needs to get married? Let's just live together. Have you noticed our society is moving through all of that? And we go from divorce being scandalous to divorce being acceptable to divorce being multipled to the point now that we've got a generation that says, who cares? Why go through the motions? Why? why? It's just a piece of paper. Why do we need to do anything like that? Kind of like this woman was. And uh, our generation is kind of like that too, that we live for the moment. That's why we get high on drugs we get high on alcohol. We can't face life. We can't make it through life. And uh, that's why there's crime. I got to have what you have. It's not fair that you have it. I deserve it. I'll take what you've got. And we could go on and on and on. People living for the moment. And uh, the satisfaction 
of the flesh is all she really cared about. As long as I'm happy, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Now, she's a scandalous woman in that town. She's an outcast in that town. She can't even go with the other women to get water out of the well, but she doesn't care because she's going to do what she is going to do, and then she runs in to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this religion of superstition rather than genuine faith is kind of catching up with her now. Number three, notice that like in our world, she desired the physical, material blessings over spiritual and eternal blessings. And that's why people flock to the health and wealth guys and the healers. They don't really want Jesus. They want wealth. They don't really want Jesus. They want to be healthy. They are not really in it because they are sold out to Christ and love Him and would give everything for His cause. No, they are wanting to get. What can you give me? What can you give me? What can you give me? Their prayers are more like a shopping list to Instacart than they are worshiping a holy God. And so think about how she was living and how she was acting just like our society does today in the same things. So Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Well, that got her attention. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him like a fountain. You'll carry your own water source around, is what he seems to be saying. She's going, whoa, how cool would that be? I don't have to go get water. I have it. It's always with me. And so she says, sir, give me this water. And notice she doesn't say that I may be right with God, that I may be righteous, that I may be clean, that I may have eternal life. No, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Change my life. Change my life, she says, but not spiritually, not for eternity. Who cares about that? Change it in the here and now. And how many people do you know that the only thing they really want to know about God is what He can do for them right now? Or how He can change their life or make their circumstances change right now? Or how He can pour money into their bank account right now? It's all about here. It's all about now. It's all about making my life better here. Your best life now might have been the book that was written at that time and the woman at the well would have been the first one to buy it do you see it that's the world in which we live i don't want pie in the sky by and by a guy named reverend ike used to say i want my pie now right here tired of being poor tired of living in poverty i want it and i want it now well that's the woman at the well and that's our society for sure today and so Jesus was talking about living water as a metaphor about being saved. Sins forgiven, new life, a new relationship with God. Oh, who cares about that? It sounds boring, right? And yet that is the thing that people in hell today would warn anybody living now. Go for the eternal. Find out what God can do for you. You don't want to end up here. Remember the rich man in Luke chapter 16 wanted Lazarus to go back and warn his brothers. And Moses, uh, Abraham said to him, they have the law and the prophets. Yeah, but if they, believe, if they saw someone raised from the dead, they would believe. And Abraham said, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, if they won't believe the word of God, they won't believe even if someone were raised from the dead. Think about Easter. 
Think about the celebration of one who was raised from the dead. And it makes very little impact on most people's lives. It's all about the eggs. It's all about the jelly beans. It's all about the ham. It's all about all of that. Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. A nice mythical story, but it doesn't change their life. This is where the world lives. This is where this woman is. And at this point, all that she wanted was physical relief from what she had to do. She missed the point entirely because she was dead in her trespasses and sins and so all of the things that she had said about Jacob and his well uh, could be quickly abandoned by a better offer okay think about that this is our father Jacob's well are you greater than him yeah I've got living water that will never go away okay bye Jacob show me whoever you are She didn't even know who Jesus was, and she was already abandoning Jacob's well for a better offer. And there are so many people today that that's the way they look for a church. They come to church, yeah, that was pretty good, but I got a better offer over here. That's the way they look at religion. What is the easiest religion? What gives me the most? What is it where I can really be myself without any change, any guilt, any transformation, no shame or anything like that at all? And so they turn away from Christianity. And they can turn away even though they were raised in the church. The big movement now is called deconstructionism. And there are pastors, Christian musicians, and all kinds of people, young and old, that are walking away from the faith. You know why? Because like her, they found a better offer. There was something that seemed to alleviate their personal, physical, immediate need. And so they went running to that because they can't look at the eternal and they don't understand the things of God. I'm telling you, the more I read this, the more that I think. I've met the woman at the well in so many different places in my life. This is the world in which we live. Fourthly, she assumed that her sins were minimal And they're hidden. Nobody knows. As long as nobody knows, it's cool. And they're not all that bad anyway. So Jesus says, you know, go uh, get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. True? True. She didn't. And Jesus called her on it. Can you imagine how her face must have burned and uh, what she must have felt when this man she didn't even know goes, you're right, you're right, you are single. But the truth is you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband whoo that's embarrassing caught exposed and you know that's what jesus does he convicts of sin he exposes sin he makes it so you can't hide it you can't normalize it you can't make it seem like it's no big deal it is a big deal because you have offended a holy god and you've broken his law and he has something to say about it and so this woman comes to this place to where she goes whoo good night How in the world did this happen? And so then she uh, looks and she goes, Okay, I get it. You must be a prophet. Okay, that's closer because Jesus was a prophet, but that's not all that he was. Prophet, priest, and king, his threefold office. He's the Messiah. He's the payment for sin. He's the representative of God. He's the one that came to show us the Father. He's the one that came to seek and save the lost. Not the righteous, but the lost. And it's painful to come face to face with your sins and to see it while you're sitting at a well next to the Son of God. 
And if you've ever been born again, you may be like me. I walked an aisle when I was 10, but I never dealt with sin. But when I was 22, I dealt with sin. When I was 22, I had the Lord convict me and confront me with my sin. And I didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel peaceful about it. I didn't feel affirmed about it. I didn't feel any of those things. I felt ashamed. And it was that shame that brought conviction in my life because I should have been ashamed of my sins. And then I found out that Jesus was the answer. Jesus was the relief for my sins. There was a uh, man who passed away uh, recently, Timothy Keller. You may have read some of his books. I want you to watch a video clip of him as he explains the gospel just a little bit better and a little more uh, in detail than I'm able to. So I want you to hear the best. So I want you to hear this and watch it. See, the world thinks, we all think, that righteousness means live a good life and then God will bless us. That's not what the gospel says. Not at all. Here's what the gospel says. 1 Peter 3.18 Jesus Christ suffered for sin the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. What's that mean? At the end of Jesus' life, he was treated with honor? No, with shame. Was he rewarded? Because he lived a righteous life. Was he rewarded? No, he was punished. He was treated like a criminal. He, righteous, was treated as unrighteous so that if you believe in him, You and I, who are unrighteous, can be treated as righteous. And when Jesus Christ was baptized, he got the Holy Spirit. Why? It's it's the gift. God says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Here's the Holy Spirit. Why can you and I get the Holy Spirit? We don't deserve it, but in Jesus we are. Because, remember, he's the advocate. The Holy Spirit is the second advocate. If you were here a few weeks ago, Jesus Christ is the first advocate. What does it mean when it says he's gone to stand before the Father? The word advocate actually means a defense attorney. If you're in a courtroom and you're on trial and you've got an advocate, you know what that means? If your advocate is brilliant, you look brilliant. If your advocate is stupid, you look stupid. If your advocate uh, fails, you fail. If your advocate succeeds, you succeed. In a sense, you don't really, the judge, the jury doesn't exactly see you. They see your advocate. You're in your advocate. And this is, this is the gospel's way of saying that when you become a Christian, Jesus Christ stands before the Father and the Father sees us, you, in him. All of your sins, all the things you've done wrong, they're all gone. He sees a beauty. Jesus Christ glorifies you before the Father. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? Because that's the gospel. Ask Jesus into your heart. Feel bad about your sins. That's not the gospel. What he said is the gospel. Christ Jesus came and suffered to bring us to God. Through all of that. And an inadequate view of Jesus. And an inadequate view of the gospel. Is something that has to be dealt with. It's insufficient. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now that's absolutely true. But it's inadequate for salvation and Jesus said if you knew who was before you you would ask him for living water and there was a problem she didn't know she didn't understand and so today before we leave let's make it crystal clear Jesus Christ is God in human flesh 
sent to earth for one reason, because we, humanity, we are sinners, we have sinned, all of us, and we fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, we are going to, as Hebrews 9.27 says, we're all going to die. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Now, how are you going to stand before God and defend yourself adequately? You need a lawyer. You need a defense attorney. And the only one that's adequate is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you will repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ and Christ alone, that he paid your sin debt in full and that he rose from the dead and you'll surrender to him as the master, the boss of your life. And the Bible says in 1 John, we have an advocate before God the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He paid for your sins. He defends you and you are righteous because you are in him. If you only knew the gift of God and who Jesus is. That's the point that we covered this morning. So the question, do you? Do you? You can sit in church for years and years and years and not really get that. Not really understand the gospel. Still think it's about you. Still thinking it's about what you did or what you prayed or the aisle you walked down or how you felt. And it really has nothing to do with them. It has to do everything with Jesus who died for you, paid for your sins in full. Will you trust him? Will you surrender to him as Savior and Lord today? He will forgive you. That's the good news. And that's why Jesus came. Will you trust him today? Ask somebody who's around you what that means and they'll get you with someone who can share that with you. They may even do it themselves. Just make sure that you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your righteous standing before God. May we pray? Father, we think about the woman at the well. She's not all that weird or unusual. I've never gone to a well and I've never met with a Middle East outcast woman and sat down with her or have I we live in a sinful world we live in a world that just doesn't get it we live in a world who thinks their sin is normal nobody's perfect they shrug things off and they don't see that they've broken the law of God they don't see the wrath of God they, they think God is just like an old grandfather who just hands out candy and and things like that. They don't see how serious it all is. Just like her. And even those who take a step forward and say, Okay, well I see something different in Jesus. It falls way, way short of who he really is. So Holy Spirit, would you draw people to Christ? Would you convince them of the truth? Would you save their soul? Would you rescue them? And would you give them living water? Coming from a well that will never run dry because it's from the springs of eternal life. It comes from a loving, unending God. And we pray all of this because we care about your glory. And because we care about men, women, boys and girls and their souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.